Welcome to the Who Needs Instructions podcast, the podcast that wants to get men talking. Yep, another edition of Who Needs Instructions is here, and I'm delighted to say that my guest this week is a gentleman by the name of Ben Slater. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining me. So, Ben, first of all, a little bit about yourself. Now, obviously, I can read this stuff off a website and off a LinkedIn profile, uh, but you are the founder and the lead consultant at something called Five Ways Devon. So please tell us what Five Ways does. So Five Ways Devon, uh, there's a couple of clues in the name, and the first one is Five Ways, and that's really around uh, five ways to well-being. And so there are you know, five different ways in terms of uh, learning, connecting, noticing, contributing, and moving, uh, which all uh, support well-being in individuals and in teams. And I wanted to make sure that was always at the heart of what I was doing, so I put in I put it in the company name. Um, and five ways, Devon, because I really believe that it's important to be part of a, a community, uh, and that we should have roots somewhere. Um, so. If one day it becomes Five Ways Global, you'll be the first to know, Matt. Super. But, but actually, uh, uh, I love this county, and you know, there are lots of views about what Devon is um, in, in terms of being idyllic uh, from the outside. Uh, but it's you know, it's got the same same struggles and issues as as anywhere else in terms of of mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really wanted there to be a, a connection um, with the, the county that I call home. And is this your home county as in birth or have you moved to Devon? So so my, my dirty secret, Matt, is that I uh, was brought up in in Essex. Okay. Um, and uh, but they still let me in into <laughs> into Devon. So so that's great. Uh, I don't know though whether that will change if we bring in a a more stringent uh, system of ID cards, uh, but for, for the you know for the moment, uh, uh, I'm still allowed in Devon, so that's great. And how long have you been in Devon? So I've been in Devon um, a couple of years, and so we moved down with my my wife's work. Um, uh, but it's uh, it's it's brilliant for us uh, in terms of we have um, my wife's parents just 30 minutes away, and that's that's been a a real. Uh, blessing for for everybody in this part of the family to be able to do the amazing thing within government regulations of of popping in um so so that to be able to see extended family without doing a long journey has been fantastic yeah sometimes only over the garden fence but you know we all make do well, that's good. I mean, you know, as we get older and our parents get uh, that little bit more frail, I know that my, my sister and I have a bit of a pact and my sister lives near our mum and I live relatively close to our dad. So uh, we, we kind of have responsibilities for them. So I, I appreciate where you're coming from on that one. Uh, and you've got a, a fairly youngest family as well that uh, I imagine that uh, bringing them up, I'm not saying anything against Essex, of course, because I'm, I'm a Kent boy myself. Um, but uh, I, if I had a choice, I would probably choose the southwest over the southeast to bring my children up. Yeah, so, so you you know that you're in the right place when your children are in wetsuits and beaming from ear to ear, whether they've just been tumbled over by waves or they're doing some river swimming or, you know, just, yeah, just lovely. 
Fantastic. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I should make this a podcast about Devon because uh, <laughs> I could go on about it all day, definitely. But listen, let's let's dig a little bit deeper into, um, it, you know, what, what brought you to founding Five Ways? What, what's your background then? Has it always been in, in mental health or have you, uh, is this a, a, a sort of an area of work that you found yourself coming to more recently? So, so the majority of my working life, yeah, spanning three decades, has been in education. Um, and so I started off as a what we describe as a, a teacher in a mainstream school. So that's a school that isn't a, a special school or alternative provision. Um, and uh, originally a, a, a French teacher. Okay. Um, and then as I progressed in my career, I found myself um, increasingly um, having groups that, that nobody else really wanted. Um, and, uh, and I loved it. Uh, and and the conversations that we had and the uh, relationships with the families and the community was really something that that I loved. Uh, I'm not saying it was plain sailing all the time, uh, but actually I felt I was making more of a difference there uh, than getting uh, um, conjunctions and verbs uh, into uh, small children's heads. Uh, and so... So that was you know, one of the sort of nudges that was was happening, and I think the other thing as well was that um, as I went through my career, uh, I went into uh, schools and centres that had more and more uh, children that weren't coping with uh, mainstream education mm-hmm. for various reasons. Sometimes for anxiety, uh, sometimes. Uh, they had been excluded for behaviour uh, incidents, but generally you could see it was a, a legacy of unmet need, and more and more uh, coming at it from a purely academic angle just wasn't cutting it. And so I really had to dig into the research and the training that was around mental health um, and ways in which we could start to see through the fog of the behaviour to the child's actual needs behind all of that. Um, because actually a child might tip over a table and throw a chair, but they'd rather do that than you hear that they can't read at 14. Mm. So so the, all these penny-dropping moments were coming through. Um, and as we uh, moved down here, I decided that to make that the main thing that I did in terms of um, education, but also around vision and culture for individuals and for teams. Um, I really do believe that there's there's no uh, no fulfilment without health, and that there's no health without mental health, and that being really really important driver. This idea of uh, there are always better choices for better lives. Mm. Uh, and that's very much the, the sort of mantra of Five Ways Devon. So I'm going to ask a really crude question, okay? <laughs> Go on. Uh, how how do you make a living out of this? How do you make a living out of this? Mm. It's a very, very, very good question. So, um, so I do uh, training courses, uh, mm-hmm. and so uh, the main training courses are around mental health first aid. Uh, so it's you know, one of the few licensed courses uh, in England. And it's, um, uh, if you like, it's endorsed by the uh, Royal Society of Public Health and also train in suicide first aid, which is 
um, again, the only accredited course uh, in the UK and, and if you like nationally, it's accredited by the sitting guild. So there's a lot of work around training and education. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also asked to do uh, bespoke work. Uh, I'm also asked to do advocacy uh, for children with care experience, uh, and that can be for um, organisations, schools, multi-academy trusts. Um, so if somebody uh, needs um, an expert perspective at a tribunal, for example, mm -hmm. um, then I can be called in. Um, so lots and lots of uh, different ways in which people want to hear a different voice or be trained or be just be confident uh, in those first encounters where we meet somebody who's experiencing mental health distress. I mean, that's great to hear because, you know, there, there is only so much funding that can be put towards anything, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, and to know that, um, you know, you are able to make such a difference and, you know, earn a living, a decent, honest mm. living out of it at the same time. It's just, I, I'm happy to know that people are willing to spend money in this area now because I imagine... 10, 15 years ago, would you have been able to start something like Five Ways? I think, uh, I think no. Um, I think that we would have, um, you know, all this sort of stuff around mental health would have been really subsumed within um, HR, human, you know, um, yeah. human resource and, uh, and those sort of policies and and the real emphasis would have been about um, keeping people working <laughs> rather than around uh, around mental health. So, so I mean, 15 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, um, I myself had um, time off work, about three weeks off work, uh, and we didn't have the language around it. I mean, I'd, I'd essentially worked harder than I'd rested, <laughs> you know, that calculation, and we just run out of steam. Um, and so signed off for three weeks and we might have described burnout and so on and really interesting that the attitudes within work um, so uh, I had uh, there was a group of people at work who who ran a sweepstake on whether I was going to come back to work wow. or not Jeez. okay yeah yeah um, and then uh, and then I had a real key person at work who and, and who is in a in a place of authority and leadership who said ben you're made for this but you're not made for overwork and, and that was a really key message to me uh not just about helping me get back to work but also that told me what sort of leader i wanted to be when i went into leadership um you know i wanted to be the sort of person that said those sort of things to the people who were who were depending on me for leadership and support fantastic i say fantastic obviously you know getting to the point of of having to take time off work through like you say what they call now as burnout yeah um, it's not a great scenario to be but then almost i'm going to call it an epiphany and a change in direction because that happened certainly it i think i think what it did was it told me that there's there's always something behind the behaviour, and so uh, and so when we when we see somebody, an adult or a child, behaving in a particular way, you know that behaviour, in essence, is communication, 
uh, and we can either take it at face value and say, oh, they're, they're off all the time or they're always grumpy or they're always this or they're always that. Or we can actually say, you know, I've noticed you've been doing this more recently. Um, is something going on? I'm here if you want to talk, if you want to talk to me about it. Uh, and, and, and those two different approaches are really, really important uh, because the first approach means that you've, you've already decided what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and the second approach is, is seeking to understand before and prior, prioritizing that rather than trying to be understood. And has it always been uh, young people that you've worked with and continue to work with, or you're now in the sort of well, you're probably still working in schools, but you're working in a, a commercial environment with with businesses as well now? Yeah, so so it's a real range uh, of, of people and teams at the moment uh, you know, in the commercial sector and also in um, in the educational sector and, and public sector as well. Um, so, and what that tells me is is that is that the need is universal. Uh, people come at it from different angles, but actually, these sectors are, are, are full of human beings, sure. uh, and so that's that's the universal and factor and the, and the constant that is there. Um, but it, yeah, range of of young people, uh, adults, adults with um, with learning needs, so a whole range. And this is a tricky question. Describe a typical work day for me, Ben. I don't suppose one's the same as the other, is it? No, no. And I think, I think what I find that there is a lot of in the typical working day is a lot of listening, uh, and and that's really important uh, because um, because it may take quite a long conversation for someone to really get to be able to articulate what they need um, because generally what the starting point is is that they they know you know whether it's a team leader or an individual or or somebody trying to, to set up um, something in terms of a benefits package for their company or whatever it might be that needs this mental health element they have an idea of, of that they need something but they're not quite sure what and and we still are not particularly fluent in the language of mental health mm. because we we think it is is something other or separate and if you look at yeah you know, if you look at the history of treating people we've you know it's only in the last few years that we we do we have an integrated approach and a community approach before that we sent people away you know uh, if you you know, certainly if you look back at my family in the last couple of generations, people who were, weren't quite themselves were sent off to places for, for bed rest, mm -hmm. uh, for their nerves, mm. to sanatoriums, yeah. to, you know, what were described as spas, but, you know, uh, the real strong health element, because that's where people went if they weren't quite normal or weren't functioning normally, they were sent away. Yeah. And so... And so that I, that for me that trickles down in, in in our language of today, because actually we still have this sense of is it okay to talk about this stuff in a normal conversation, you know, with somebody, you know, w within a work function, for example, or within trying to set up an initiative. Is it is it okay to talk about this stuff? 
and I imagine in that scenario when you've you know you're talking to an individual they may be senior in the organization and you know they're opening up to you and that I imagine still is quite a fear for them because you know in your professional role you are there to I suppose report back but at the same time you need that person to be able to open up to you so that you can you know, figure out and find a solution or begin to set them on the correct path to, well, improving their mental health, I guess. Yes, and I think, you know, and I think there are lots of dynamics that happen in different workplaces, but essentially culture shouts the loudest. Mm-hmm. So so you can show me all your policies, all your questionnaires, all your, um, you know, all your mental health uh, quality marks and so on. But if the, if the culture, if what the person actually experiences at work is don't bring your personal stuff into the office, then that, then that is the reality. You know, that is the reality. And whether that is something spoken, whether that is something misunderstood, whether someone is you know, misinterpreting the, the if you, for example, if you have uh, an introvert boss, who perhaps doesn't um, display or process emotion like you do yourself, you might think they're not bothered about how you feel. Mm. But actually, that just might be the the way in which they, they function because they're introverted. So how do, you, how do you sort that out? How do you start that conversation? Yeah. Especially if you're having a conversation with somebody who's in charge of your performance and pay rises. How do you open up to that person? Um, so there are lots and lots of challenges and dynamics in that area. Now, I'm just going to, uh, I want to quote something off your website because I think this is lovely in terms of the way that you've written this. So in your, the about section, it says about Ben. And then the first sentence literally says, actually, it's not about me. It's about you. And there's this paragraph, which I'm going to read out word for word. You need to know that the person you are working with has felt the heat of professional challenges and the cold of seemingly hopeless situations. You need to know that in spite of this, this person still holds on to relentless hope and our capacity to overcome. Um, That paragraph tells me more about you than I think any professional paragraph I've seen um, written down on a website or on a, in a professional piece of you know literature and paperwork. Um, I think that's that's wonderful, and I'd love to work with you just because of that paragraph. <laughs> so I, 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 there's no point to this. I just wanted to point that out to you to say that is amazing. Um, and you know, is there you say you know seemingly hopeless situations? Is there a particular scenario that that sort of you know reminds you of in your in your working past? So. So there are um, there are situations when you're supporting uh, families and young people, and uh, uh, and you're 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 privy to um, the majority of the facts and history uh, around a young person's life, um, and also the family's life, and uh, yeah. Uh, and all that I'm being hesitant because sure. I'm, I'm always hesitant because this is people's reality, not an anecdote. And, mm, and okay. that's, and that's yeah. really important to me. Um, so, so what, what I'm saying is, is that you can be sat there and you can think, 
how the hell are we going to move this on? Um, or or how, the, how the hell is this person's life ever going to get better? And then you realise that you need to be the person in the room who's who's holding the hope. Right. Uh, because for whatever reason, whether it's you know, dimin diminished capacity through uh, drug misuse, uh, through uh, various different uh, factors and reasons, um, that if they can't hold the hope for themselves, then for a period of time um, and, and where it's appropriate and you have the authority and remit to do so, then you, sometimes we need to hold the hope for people who can't hold it for themselves. Um, and that is, that's really important um, because hopelessness um, leads to feelings of being stuck, uh, leads to feelings of, being, of, of, of life being pointless, and it really gets in the way of recovery. Loads of research around two things that accelerate recovery, uh, and one is hope and one is community. Uh, and I think that's brilliant <laughs> that those two things are massive ingredients in recovery, not a drug, uh, mm. not, uh, not a center or clinic somewhere, not a complicated and expensive therapy, but hope and community. Uh, and that is, that for me is, that still astonishes me when I think about it. There, there was something in there that really stood out for me as well. Um, Cause you know, like you say, hope and community, when you when I think about that, yeah, you know, the community, the people around me, and the hope that I have for for my future and the future of those around me is massively important. But you said something then which would have sent a cold shiver down my spine if I'd have been in your scenario. And this is where I, I assume your years of training have come into it. So you're looking at an individual and the situation seems hopeless, but you have to be the person that holds on to that. And then that falls upon your shoulders to then try and navigate some kind of path to help that person find that hope and that community to keep them going on. That obviously is never the same scenario. So it's it's that's what I think is so clever about the work that you're doing is that you need to, like you say, listen to the individual, work out what, what language they are talking. So that's going to help you give them the solutions or the, the the method to help them find improvement in their life yeah and i think i mean yeah essentially that that's what we're talking about and i, I think one of the key ingredients in that is is making it is making it a person-centered approach uh, and also you, me being very very aware of of my frame of reference so Frame of reference is my window on the wall, my window on the world that is mm -hmm. that's been built up from all my experiences, especially ones that have formed intense emotions. But that's my frame of reference. That's yeah. not their life, um, and that's really important because because actually our frame of reference can can run interference uh, with doing really good work. So, for example, um, you know, I'm I'm not a fan of drug use uh, and addiction and what it does to us um, but that's that's not the running commentary that comes out of my mouth uh, because the person is where they are yeah. um, and so my message to them is 
is is not around. Well, you should have got this sorted by now. Uh, you know, this should have got this habit sorted by now. It's it's where, where are they and where is the next step? Because because if if again if we're talking about uh, drug use or we're talking about changing a different habit that's entrenched, that does need to come from them. And so one of the most important things is what I describe as 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 listening with your face, really, which is the stuff that we hear cannot be met with ridicule, judgment, or disgust. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, someone has gathered up the guts and the courage to say what's going on with them, and they are looking to see whether that's so. It, whether it's been okay to say that. Yeah. Um, and that's really really important because one of the main things that gets in the way of people getting help and gets in the way of uh, people changing habits and making better choices is what we might be what we might describe as self stigma uh, and self stigma are the messages that you send to yourself and the three main messages we send to ourselves are i'm bad i'm weird it's all my fault um, and i mean if someone says this is going on with me and they can see in the per- in my face they can see in the person who's listening that that there's no judgment that i don't think they're bad weird or that it's all their fault mm. then it gives permission uh, for them to say more um, it, there's a sense of validation in there a sense of closer connection just through that that non-judgmental listening and communication and a lot of empathy on your behalf, I imagine, as well. Yeah, yeah. and empathy in terms of what must it be like in their shoes mm-hmm. um, is, is really, really important. Yeah, and that's that. That's something I can relate to. I, I think, um, I, I, well, this is a ridiculous thing to say, but I don't believe in star signs, but I'm a typical Libra. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I understand the contradiction in that last sentence. Uh, but, but, you know, we're supposed to be a set of scales and uh, I, I will often lose an argument because I can see somebody else's point of view. Um, so I think that if, if I have a gift and I'm, I feel like I'm blowing my own trumpet, but if I have a gift, it's empathy. And I, I feel that I can try and understand and relate to other people and where they're coming from. Uh, even though I have a point of view, yeah. um, I like to be able to understand other people's points of view. Um, something we spoke on because we've we had a phone call earlier on um, to to catch up, and I, I we we touched on obviously a lot of your work has been with young people, mm. um, and um, my aim with Who Needs Instructions is fairly simple. I just want to get guys talking a bit more to each other, and uh, we uh, I think I touched on the fact that uh, you know my my father taught me to be. Well, I looked at my father and he is the role model I had as to how to be a man. Um, and he was quite old fashioned, um, but actually has at the grand old age of 85 become a very new man who every time he sees me, tells me he loves me and, and likewise. And that's uh, it's it's brilliant and refreshing to see. And I'm very Fantastic. fortunate about that. But I also realize that in your work with young people, they have parents at home whose worlds they are shaping. Um, and that is something else that I suppose then you, you've already mentioned it, you know, when you're talking to somebody, what is their situation? Why are they thinking the way they are? And it is maybe for the men in my audience who have children at home, how are you 
teaching or, or what way, what things are you doing that showing that is showing your children um, how they carry themselves in this world? And um, I just think that's an important point to get across. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so parental relationships or, and, and by parents, it could be a significant adult um, because actually when we, talk widely with people and and think about those people that have influenced our lives people will quite often reference uh, a grandparent for example or reference um, a significant teacher um, there's some really great research um, that uh, bernardo's do um, do each year uh, around what's called the bright spots questionnaire and it talks particularly around children with with care experience uh, and it asks them what's made the biggest difference. And year upon year upon year, what the young people are saying is, what changed my life was a trusted, reliable adult. You know, and, and so it's an adult that trust, I, I could trust, and who turned up. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's not a huge list uh, of attributes, uh, really, is it? No. But a you know, trusted, reliable adult being life-changing, um, I think, is, is, is remarkable. But, but what it does when we are trusted and reliable is, is we're, we're changing somebody's world. We are, you know, we are changing, shifting sand to real solid fund foundations under their, under their feet. And, and what that does for, in people's brains... It is that um, if I have solid ground under my feet, then I'm not using headspace, <laughs> trying trying to have certainty and stability, and I can start to think about other things like accomplishment and fulfilment. Um, and so there are just huge ramifications from being a trusted, reliable adult uh, in someone's life, um, and. Yeah, and I, I really can't overemphasize the importance of that. Uh, there's a part of me that works, wants to go real off tangent and start to talk to you about your time as a French teacher because that just fascinates <laughs> me. <laughs> and I'm not about to test you on your French knowledge. Uh, you know, my, my GCSE grade C will not probably match up with your teaching capabilities. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I, I have, uh, I, I was married to a teacher, so you know, I have a uh, again some some empathy or some understanding of of that role. W- was yours in a secondary school situation? Yeah, so I, I so I taught in in secondary schools um, and uh, of of varying sizes and varying degrees, um, but uh, you know, it's it absolutely a a job uh, that I loved and that I love. Uh, I still consider myself in an educator of sorts mm-hmm. um uh, so yes i've got i've got a number of of uh, events and stories from that but that would be a, a whole other series of uh, of podcasts and you and you may need you know you may need uh, legal advice before i tell some of the stories <laughs> should we leave it there ben no <laughs> <laughs> Now, at the uh, towards the end of all my episodes, I like to ask four questions, uh, and I have uh, I've, I haven't told you what the questions are, but I have pre warned you that these questions exist. Uh, so I'm just going to go straight in with the first one, uh, which is: What do you think it takes to be a man in the 21st century? 
God, fantastic question. Um, what do I think it takes to be a man? I think it, what it takes is, um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that I'm hesitating um, because it's not something we're asked very often. Mm. Um, when I think about uh, men that I admire, they are people who uh, care unashamedly. Um, mm. They are people who are honest about themselves, about their achievements. Um, so they don't define themselves by their achievements. Um, they define themselves about uh, who they are rather than what they do. Um, and and they are uh, people who invest in quality relationship. So none of this uh, superficial banter, uh, none of this um, sexual innuendo, none of this, you know, stereotypical stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, they are uh, they are valuing people uh, in their relationships. I think that's what it takes to be a man. Fantastic. Possibly leading on from that then. So who has inspired or who's been the most or some of the most influential people in your life then? Um, I'm going to say my dad. I'm going to say my dad. And um, uh, and the reason for that is uh, it's quite surprising. So um, so I met my my wife when I was 35. So, you know, I've spent 35 years uh, knowing my parents, or, or so I thought. Um, and it took one dinner with my then fiance and her talking to my dad to find out a whole new chapter of my dad's life that I knew wow. nothing about. No. Um, and, uh, and it was astonishing. And, and essentially, I'm not going to go into details out of respect for my dad, but essentially there was a choice that my dad had to make, which was, do I replicate the, uh, the uh, parenting I've received uh, on the male side of my family, mm -hmm. or do I do something better for my children? And he chose to do something better for his children. And I never knew that. I never, I never knew that all those years. <laughs> it, took, it took one dinner uh, with my now wife for him to, to open up this whole chapter, um, which must have been really, really tough for him. Mm. Um, and, then, and then he was father of, of, of two small children. Um, and there weren't any firm reference points for him about being a dad and he did a brilliant job he, yeah he at, at, you know at a certain point he just said do you know what stuff the past i'm i'm going to do it i'm going to do this and i'm going to do this for my children and i'm going to be this father um and so i've got amazing respect for him for that what a lovely story thanks ben thank you what sort of legacy would you like to leave? <laughs> God, 
Is, it, is there a list of, of, of easier questions you've got somewhere? No. Well, I say there's an easy one coming. There's a more lighthearted one. Okay, I'll, re- I'll rephrase. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. The legacy is fine. I think, okay. I think, I think legacy is important uh, because actually, ultimately, ultimately, that, that's, that's what we leave. That is, that's what we leave. When, when, mm-hmm. when we can do no more, all that is left is our, our legacy. And I think uh, the legacy that I want to leave um, is uh, is a bunch of people who've got hope where previously they didn't have any, and and if that's if that's all I can do, uh, then that'll be enough. You answered my was going to be rephrased question, which was what sort of legacy would you like five ways to leave? And I think yeah, you are five ways. So so yeah, yeah. fantastic. Okay light-hearted question but possibly the most difficult of all four and the final one please tell me your best dad joke <laughs> just one i've got loads oh go on yeah, I mean, i'll take loads um so uh so uh, one of my favorites is um why did the chicken cross the playground oh, no? i don't know why did chicken cross the playground to get to the other slide um <laughs> so i love that go one on. yeah yeah um uh my other favorite one and this is i feel this is quite a, a, a gentle joke but uh uh why don't uh why don't owls go courting in the rain i don't know why don't owls go courting in the rain because it's too wet to woo oh i should have seen that one coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that that qualifies right up there as a dad joke that's phenomenal <laughs> ben thank you very much indeed um i've i've learned a lot from our chat and i've really enjoyed it as well um please uh give us the best way to get in touch with you if anybody is interested in talking to you a bit further about the kind of work that you can do with them uh, what's the best way for them to find you ben so uh, they can go along to uh, www.fivewaysdevon.uk um, or they can drop me an email at benslater at fivewaysdevon.uk. Superb. Ben, I just want to thank you for your time. Um, no one knows this, but um, I spoke to you on the phone this morning and we arranged a podcast art- interview this evening. Um, that is a quick turnaround and uh, I am very appreciative of, appreciative of that. So uh, thank you for your flexibility. No problem at all. It, you know, someone asked me to talk about uh, mental health. I can I can do that all day. Absolutely. It's kind of what you do for a living, I suppose, isn't it, Ben? <laughs> Ben, thanks again for your time and uh, I I wish you all the best uh, with with everything that Five Ways does and uh, you and your family too. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Who Needs Instructions podcast. We release a new episode every week, so make sure to subscribe and we'll speak to you again soon.